Good morning, and welcome to Food for Thought. If you eat food, then this is worth the listen. My name is Mary Blake. And my name is Elsa. And we're going on a field trip. What? We just got in the studio. Where are we going? The grocery store. I don't know about you, but I'm in the mood for a snack. Sliding glass doors open to fluorescent lights reflecting off the white tile. Bunches of fresh flowers and birthday cards explode in a cacophony of color next to the entrance of the multi-story supermarket, and layers of interlaced stainless steel make up an organized mess of shopping carts which line the one empty wall of the first floor building. Where should we go first? Cheesy background music floats out of some mysterious unknown source, occasionally interrupted by over-caffeinated advertisements, urging the mindless shoppers to buy, 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 now, now, now. Ooh, fruit. Yum. Strawberries, apples, raspberries. What have we here? Yum. Premium red seedless grapes. Technicolored cans of beans, greens, peaches, plums, noodles, strudels, cookie dough, and sloppy joe line the never-ending dark caves of the supermarket shelves. The Rubik's Cube of blocked colors on the shelves would fit within modern museum exhibits, too mouthwatering for any human to resist until a frantic eye takes a closer look and scans the label of one specific can. What's that colorful label say? Yep, that one. Where's the non-GMO label? It says, non-GMO project verified. Ignorant but petrified, the shopper places the can back on the shelf and replaces it with its superior counterpart. One almost the same, but with the merit badge of an orange non-GMO butterfly on its side. That's great, right? The shopper takes a deep breath. Yeah, let's get them. They will live to see another day. Hi everyone, we are back in the studio. Elsa, how are those grapes? So good. Seedless is definitely the way to go. I'm wondering though, what did that label mean? The one that said non-GMO project verified? Yeah, what are GMOs? Genetically modified organisms. Okay, yes, but what are GMOs? All right, let's get sciencey. I know just the guy. Let's give Mr. Hamilton a call. Hi Elsa, what's up? Hey Mr. Hamilton. Mary Blake and I are trying to understand GMOs and the process of genetic engineering. How does that process work? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so basically every living organism has its own genetic blueprint, also known as DNA. To genetically engineer an organism, scientists take specific parts of an organism's DNA and modify it, usually transferring those specific parts of DNA from one organism to another. Thanks, Mr. Hamilton. See you tomorrow in class. In a 2016 study about GMOs, 39% of Americans stated that they believed GM foods were bad for consumer health. The same study was conducted in 2020, and this number went up to 51%. These trends show the general increase in anxiety surrounding opinions about what people are eating. It really sounds like people are becoming fearful shoppers. Even when we were shopping, we felt good about buying the non-GMO grapes as opposed to the ones that had been genetically engineered. Well, in parallel with these numbers, laws are being passed left and right to try and get food to be labeled about its GMO or non-GMO status. 
The label that Elsa and I saw in that box of grapes in the supermarket is going to become more and more popular on everything from avocados to butter beans. How controlling are these laws? Will everything have to be labeled? On December 20th, 2019, the USDA released an official law for implementation at the beginning of 2022, requiring all GMO foods to be labeled, both foods imported and those manufactured in the U.S. Interesting. So it seems like laws are becoming increasingly stringent around GMOs. Is there a specific reason for this? Yes. A lot of it is stemming from consumer anxiety. At the end of the day, people want to know what's in their food. But it's a vicious cycle, because once we start getting into every nitty-gritty detail about food production, then customers start to see labels as warning signs. If there needs to be a label, then there's a certain level of danger in the customer's eyes. Most shoppers don't know what the danger is, but I'll bet that the large majority are willing to spend a couple extra dollars on that colorful non-GMO label. But why is that? What does this anxiety stem from? Despite lengthy scientific research against both arguments, most people who are fearful of GMOs think that they are A, bad for one's health, and B, bad for the environment. Those sound like pretty major concerns. Are they true? The health aspect stems from the idea that GMOs are unnatural or contaminated. In a recent survey done, a large majority of people voted to keep DNA out of our food. In case you didn't know, DNA is in literally every living organism on the planet, whether it has been genetically modified or not. And so this argument is unfounded. The myth about GMOs being a leading cause of cancer and sterility is also invalid, but the anxiety is still there. In terms of the environmental argument, this is also pretty much baseless, because in many cases, the GM crops are modified to be able to resist herbicide and weed killer. Therefore, farmers are less likely to need to spray as many chemicals on their crops, which is, in turn, better for the environment. So what I'm hearing is that the concerns surrounding GMOs are irrational. I wish more shoppers knew that these GMO labels don't mean danger. Okay, so we've established that a lot of the Western world is pretty anti-GMO. But what does this look like in the less economically developed world? You know, that's a really interesting topic to dive into. Have you heard about the story about golden rice in India? Oh yeah, that's a really famous story, isn't it? I'd love to hear more about it. Super famous. And I'd be happy to tell you more about it. Basically, according to one article that I was reading recently, right now, across the world, a quarter of a billion preschool children are suffering from vitamin A deficiency. Every year, 250,000 to 500,000 of these kids go blind. Within a year, half of the blinded children will die. Much of the affliction is in Southeast Asia, where people rely on rice for nutrition. Rice doesn't have enough beta-carotene, the compound that, when digested, produces vitamin A. That's awful. We are so lucky to live in the United States, where that issue just isn't something we have to think about. Yeah, but get this. GMOs, the very thing that we give such a bad rep in the United States, could actually be the solution to this problem. No way! Tell me about that. Okay, so there's a lot of room for things to get really technical with the science here, but I'll try and keep it understandable and brief. Basically, 25 years ago, lead scientist at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, Igno Potrokus, set out to genetically engineer India's staple crop rice, in order for it to contain a higher dosage of beta-carotene. 
This idea was pretty crazy at the time, but Potrichus argued that it wasn't that much different from the vitamin A supplement pills that governments were already distributing to the population. He simply said that it would be an easier way for people to obtain nutrients. Makes sense to me. So how did Potrichus make golden rice? After using certain types of bacteria and even daffodils, Potrichus had a massive breakthrough and gave birth to the world's first variation of golden rice, a genetically modified grain that contained a higher dosage of beta carotene. This was huge. I mean, this had the potential to be the magic bullet to the problem of childhood vitamin A deficiency. Geez, this solution sounds like a no-brainer, but I'm getting the vibe that golden rice wasn't suddenly just sold on the market and that vitamin A deficiency just went away. Yeah, unfortunately, you're right. This is where things get really complicated and kind of messy. What we see next is very much grounded in this Western opposition of GMOs, and things get very political very fast. After the first variation of golden rice was engineered, the organization Greenpeace gave a lot of resistance to it and denounced it as poisonous. The poison argument soon fell through and Greenpeace was forced to come at it from a nutrients perspective by saying that the rice didn't contain enough beta carotene. Wait, what is Greenpeace? I'll look it up. According to their website, Greenpeace is a global independent campaigning organization that uses peaceful protests and creative communication to expose global environmental problems and promote solutions that are essential to a green and peaceful future. Okay, let's get back on track. What did Potricus do? Potricus was prepared for this and genetically modified the rice a following two times in order for it to contain 20 times as much beta carotene as the initial rice contained. Now that the second attack had been debunked, Greenpeace did a full 180 and begun to make the argument that beta carotene and vitamin A were now in fact toxic to the human body. Things continued to get very political and complicated, but at the end of the day, Greenpeace won the battle after several field tests where anti-GMO activists allegedly accidentally misplaced all the evidence in favor of golden rice. Wow, so much for Greenpeace's mission statement. Today, years after the initial research was done about golden rice, it is still not available on the market. And according to UNICEF data, vitamin A deficiency is the leading cause of preventable childhood blindness and increases the risk of death from common childhood illnesses such as diarrhea. That's really wild. The solution seems so simple, yet there's so much red tape stopping it from happening. Did Greenpeace offer any alternative solutions? Yeah, they did. But in all honesty, they were pretty unattainable. Aside from handing out vitamin A capsules to the entire population of India, Greenpeace advocated for home gardens, where people could cultivate and harvest their own food. Easier said than done, right? Exactly. India has a population of 1.3 billion people, and 35.2% of the population live in slums. The luxury of space and permanent housing to create these so-called home gardens is just not something that exists in the way that it does in the West. Overall, the idea is saturated with privileged naivety. It's important to look at this issue from an on-the-ground perspective. On June 10th, 2019, in Akot, a village in Maharashtra, farmers symbolically planted pest-resistant Bt eggplant and herbicide-tolerant cotton seeds in defiance of government regulations against the use of GMOs. This act of civil disobedience was coined Satyagraha, 
a term initially used by freedom fighter Mahatma Gandhi for what was named by one article, Campaigns of Nonviolent Civil Disobedience Against Unjust Colonial Era Laws. Many farmers are increasingly pro-GMO in India, and they look to neighboring Bangladesh as an example of a country where GMOs are being used legally and effectively. In order to give listeners a greater understanding of this topic, we want to present a fictionalized interview with a farmer in a cot. Please note that for privacy reasons, we have chosen to keep the farmer's name anonymous and their voice will be distorted. Thank you so much for agreeing to meet with us today. Could you tell us a little bit more about your opinions on GMOs? Yes. In my opinion, the use of GMOs should be legalized in India. There is no evidence of any adverse health impact on either humans or animals. Contrary to claims that GM is polluting the environment, it's in reality reducing the use of pesticides that harm many beneficial insects. GM is actually enhancing biodiversity, and by lowering crop losses, it is reducing the need of bringing more land under agriculture. I can imagine this must be a very difficult topic to navigate in India at the moment. How do farmers like yourself deal with such a topic? Many farmers simply ignore the rules and use GM crops anyway. But this puts us in a compromising position because it's illegal. But in reality, we don't see another way forward. It's like being asked to debate between having our crops fail and letting our families starve or get arrested. That's why we're trying to use grassroots activism to make change. We want to develop like the rest of the world, and this is our chance. A compromising decision indeed. I wish you the very best of luck on your movement. Thank you for your time. Wow. Mary Blake, we've covered a lot today. Can we do a quick recap of all that we talked about? Okay, so we started with what GMOs are and how things come to be genetically modified. Right. And then we moved on to perspectives on GMOs and how they have come to be these anxiety-inducing evils in the Western world, which cause ignorant shoppers to make uninformed decisions about what they buy. Exactly. And finally, we talked about the use of GMOs in India and the golden rice story, as well as a strong opposition from Greenpeace. Okay, so ultimately, we want shoppers to understand that the story of GMOs is one of environmental justice. Yes, and we want to spread the message that we need to be more open-minded about the use of GMOs and how here in the United States we denounce them without question, but they could actually be the solution to fighting disease and hunger in other parts of the world. Exactly. Let's be more informed shoppers and understand what our food labels mean for others. Thanks for listening. Tune in to next week's episode of Food for Thought. Got him! Got him. <laughs>